Yo, 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 Thought Warriors. What is up? Our learning is on. It is I, Van Lathan Jr. And it's me, Rachel Lynn Lindsay. Rachel, you want to maybe stop eating your food so we can get through the podcast, please? I'm sorry that I'm just trying to squeeze in my first meal of the day. Your your inability to schedule your life isn't anybody's fault here on this podcast. I want to let you know that. You know, um, you're right. You're right. Facts. What uh, What are your takeaways um, from the Summit of the, the Sex? Summit? Let's get right into it. Oh, man. Um, well, I hope everybody enjoyed the summit. It was a long time coming. Um, takeaways. I had a fun time, but I wish Very we could fun. have had more time. Um, there was so much to cover. We didn't even get to all of our topics. And obviously, when you're talking about one thing, it's going to bring up more things. And so it's just, we just need it all the time, but we, we, we couldn't be there all day. But I think that it was a lot more calm than I thought it was going to be. I think everybody was on their best behavior, but overall. Really? You think Gino was on his best behavior? I, I think that's Gino. Interesting. How do you know? <laughs> you never met him before. <laughs> I, I, I feel like I read people well. I, I, listen, Gino had a bad moment, but overall, Gino was good. And I was expecting it to just go off the rails, which it didn't. So I, I enjoyed the conversation. My only thing is I wish it could have been longer. And I have had a couple of people hit me up because they've just seen social media clips and say, hey, you guys didn't dr- address LGBTQ plus issues, which if you watch the whole episode, we do at the end and we hope to do more of these. But overall, for the first Summit of the Sexes, it was a success. You? Yeah. I th- uh, it was good. I understand the criticism. I think the Summit of the Sexes was intended to be uh, a conversation between black men and black women about black men and black women relationships. I don't think that we promised anything different than that. Um, there are plenty of time to discuss like all of the things that are going on and we do our best to discuss them all. Uh, that's what I would say. Um, it was, it, there was a specific conversation that was being had on stage with the summit of the sexes. I thought it was good. I thought it was a I thought it was a good conversation. I never really thought that it would be uh that it would go off the rails because I don't think that um that uh I don't think that my friends, the guys I brought up there, I don't think that they, they I don't think they're angry with black women. You know. Um I think in black men and black women's ability to uh to communicate um in relationships and in sharing the community together i think there is some anger i don't think those guys are angry i think if i had wanted it to be a conversation that was a little bit more fiery i definitely could have put guys on there that are mad at black ladies and don't have any reverence or respect for them but i don't think that i know any people like that i'm sure we both know people on both sides that are like that but not any not any of my close friends zero close friends sure close yeah. friends i wasn't expecting there to be anger. I think I just thought somebody might say something that might be triggering to someone and then somebody's going to, you know, respond out of emotion. That's what I think I was expecting more. But, and I think other people were too. You know, I've seen, I've had people write me said, oh, I thought it was going to be more spicy than that. And the thing was, it was a conversation. And I'm proud that we were able to bring a conversation 
in the way that we did. It wasn't supposed to be. I mean, if, if people want that, we could do that. But I also just don't think that's who we are necessarily as a podcast. We have disagreements. We bring them to the table and we discuss them. And I think that the summit was a reflection of that. Did you learn anything? No. Yeah. <laughs> Were you expecting to? Uh, well, I, I think I, I think I learned stuff. I think I learned, number one, I learned not to care about any of this stuff this much because and I think that's an important, important lesson not to care about the, when I say not to care, I don't mean not to care about, uh, the, the black community or the black, black men, the way black men treat black women or the way black people treat one another or anything like that, uh, in these interpersonal and, uh, sexual and emotional relationships. I don't think that I mean that. I don't think that I mean that at all. I think I learned and I have been learning not to care as much about people's individual perceptions on dating uh, black men and any of that stuff because it really is for the most part based on people's feelings. There's not a lot of actual data that goes into this. There's not a canvassing of things. We we rarely talk about the foundational issues of white supremacy or the economic challenges that have made some of this stuff the reality that it is. The social engineering that's been done by the, the country itself or any of that stuff that drives a wedge between us. Um, and so in lieu of having those conversations, which everyone would have to get much, much deeper into all of this to be able to do, the rest of it is just people talking about like how much they've been hurt and how much they're willing to take. And that's on both sides. When I say that, I mean, when a lot of times when brothers are talking about this stuff, they're really talking about how insulted they feel at some of the things that they see or how belittled they feel. And even all of that stuff it's based upon an idea of themselves that they've been socialized to believe is true. It's an idea of manhood and an idea of masculinity that they've been socialized to believe is real uh, for very cosmetic purposes oftentimes. So when that's injured, you get long drawn out conversations about who should be washing the clothes and who should be paying for dates and and what it means to do this and what it means to do that. I really enjoyed it from an entertainment perspective, but I was actually a little disappointed that it didn't we don't we don't get anywhere. Um but it was also eye-opening because mm. a lot of this isn't about what we're what we're saying that it's about. Are you looking for a view of the world that's a bit different? Hi, I'm Jason Palmer, a host of The Weekend Intelligence, a podcast from The Economist. Join us to hear the stories that matter most to our correspondents and editors. Every Saturday, we introduce you to people and ideas that take you outside the ordinary and expand your horizons one episode at a time. Join us and see the world from a new perspective. To listen free until May 31st, search Spotify for The Weekend Intelligence. As a plant-based cheese company, Dea has never talked about beef in an ad before because someone somewhere once had a beef with saying beef and plant-based together. 
So putting a slice of Daya cheese on a beef burger, not okay. Well, our delicious melty cheese has a beef with your beef about beef. Because any step towards plant-forward eating is a step in the right direction. Daya, 100% plant-based, even if you're not. Now made with Daya Oat Cream Blend. So I, I will say there were, there were two moments where I felt like if there was something I was going to say, I was going to learn that I learned, or at least I thought it highlighted something good or there was a moment of maybe a breakthrough. Um, you know, I say I didn't learn anything, but I don't necessarily mean that negatively. I would co-sign what you said. I believe everybody's rel- relationship is different. Everybody brings different sp- experiences into their relationship. And so it's really between those two people to figure out how they want to navigate it based on what they've been through, based on what their morals, values are, all of that. Um, generational trauma, it, everything. So it, it's very particular. So that's why, yes, at the end of the day, we will always go in circles because everybody's situation is so different. I mean, there was even that moment on stage where you were saying what you have learned from Black women. And then we are on the stage saying, well, we are Black women trying to tell you, but our experience isn't the same as the Black women that you've been talking to. So it just highlights that. The two things that I would say is that there was a moment in the need-want conversation, which could have gone on forever and maybe went on too long. But I feel like I did take away from that because lately I've been like listening to a lot of R&B. Kevin Samuels. I said R&B. Uh, just, uh, for some reason, I just thought maybe you were dipping back into the, the well of chaos. No, I said R&B. And shout out okay, to Ian, who was on the panel, who just dropped his new podcast, Can We Talk Can R&B? We talk R&B, great podcast about R&B. Great music. podcast. Loved having a conversation with him about R&B for, um, at dinner after. So shout out to Ian. Um, y'all go check that out. But... In a lot of the songs that I'm listening to, they use need and want interchangeably. And so it, it, for me, I felt like the conversation highlighted we're both kind of saying the same thing and that maybe the, the, what a man desires, I'll just use a different word, out of a relationship is different from what a woman does. But at the end of the day, we need want each other. That was something that I felt I came out. And then also there was a really great question at the end. Um, I believe it came from Jazzy Reparations Club. And she talked about having conversations with who do you have these conversations with? Like the topics that we were talking about on stage. And I thought it was really good. And Shannon had a really good response about, and this is what I think the panel reflected. It shouldn't be just conversations in our group chat with just all girls or all men or whatever. It should be, you should be talking to the other side. And I think that it offers a different perspective. And I always did that. And I love that Shannon highlighted that. And I felt like that's what the summit was, is taking it out of the group chat and us having the conversation with who it is that we're actually talking about and vice versa. And I thought that was a good moment. Yeah, and that's actually very true. Um, I'm lucky to have like some of the most talented and amazing Black women in my life. Uh, Like really really just amazing, amazing, amazing sisters in my life. And I always really have. If not, I'd probably be a lot more sazi shaji than I already am. A little sajini. I get a little saji. Huh? I get a little saji. Uh, but I probably would just be from a lot more if not, if not for the strong women in my life. I'll say this. I think sometimes I want and have expectations 
of the black community that aren't realistic. Um, and maybe even uh, reflect my idea of a black utopia a little bit. Uh, when I am around the diverse group of friends that I have, the Jewish guys that I know, the Asian people that I know, um, I hear them talking about how they're dating, but when it comes down to it at the end of the day, they're going to find an Asian lady or a Jewish lady to date. Like I hear them talking about like, you know, when I'm over there at the, uh, the, the Equinox sports club, LA, I'm around a lot of my Persian Jewish brothers. You know, we out there, we playing basketball. They're telling me about what went on and the Shah of Iran. And I'm like, we could talk for hours and hours and hours about how the population got from there to here and all of this stuff. And, you know, I see them with some of the ladies in the gym and they'll say very, very candidly that they're dating this white girl or this black lady or this Latina girl. But when it, times to, when it comes time to get married, they're going to date and they're going to marry a Jewish woman because their culture is that important to them Mm. that uh, they want to carry something on um, and continue to build a community. Uh, And I think about that sometimes. And what that means is when these guys are at the peak of their powers, culturally and as American citizens, when they are the most uh, wealthy, the most influential, um, the most established that there'll ever be, that there's some sort of cultural uh, imperative to them to share that with the other people uh, that that are in their culture. Now, that's not necessarily something that I would recommend everybody adopting because it doesn't seem like total freedom. You should be able to fall in love with whoever you want. But to put your culture and to put the future of your culture and the health of your culture on that type of pedestal where you're attacking it with intent and you're being very serious about it um, is sometimes sometimes the thing that I want for Black America. I want us to care about, um, and it comes from a, a, obviously this is my perspective, but I want us to care about the serious threats to us and the serious health of what we are, the health of what our culture is. And I want us to be able to kind of look at that and, and kind of consider all of those things. But you know what the reality is? There are a lot of black people. There are a lot of black people. There are 40 million black people in this country. Maybe, I mean, a little bit more than that. So maybe as a people, we're in a, um, uh, a spot where there are just too many of us for these things to hold consistently across the country and in one American black diaspora that goes from uh, New York to Baton Rouge to Texas to to L.A. and then to Miami. Uh, and what it's probably more important for me to do is focus on the health and the vibrancy the vibrancy, or should I say, of black people in smaller areas. Like, what does my community in South Baton Rouge look like? What do, what do the communities out here in L.A. that I can affect look like? And how are they dealing? And stop worrying about, like, conversations from sea to shine and sea about things that don't really matter. But I, but, and that's where the want-need thing comes in. Like, just knowing that I see other groups that 
their dollar stays in their community longer, that they have a different sort of reverence for one another, that these things are just so important to them. And, and they're so important to them. And it sometimes feels like the reason why their cultural outcomes are different, uh, one, is because they don't face nearly the entrenched systemic issues that we do. Yeah. Um, that's true. But also, also, I think there's also something to be said about their dedication to who they are. And not just when something goes wrong and not just when something is bad, but their dedication to maintaining an understood identity and a consistent one over a long period of time. Um, I think that I what I have to do is stop putting the car before the horse and start helping in building that identity in smaller pockets so I where I can really reach young black men and women um, so that we can dig ourselves out of some of the things that we've been put in, you know? So I think that, I, th- I think not just the summit, but like all, a lot of it. Like I, sometimes I think I'm trying to, I'm trying to do too much and I'm trying to think about too much and I'm, I'm, I'm taking on too much. And that's kind of why it, like I, I tie myself up in knots and I talk myself in circles. Cause like, if there's nothing, there is nothing. Like if all the feelings on the stage were valid, there's no way to, you can't convince anybody. You just got to, Hear them out and, and I don't know if that live. was the point. And I don't know if the point was to convince. I think the point was to have a conversation. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. And, I'm not they, and let people play that the rest out in the comments. Yeah. Did you Did you read a lot of the comments? Did you read it? I saw some of them. What What, what was Did Were you shocked? <laughs> was there anything shocking in there? Did they Was there Was there anybody going crazy? Not from what I saw. I mean, it was the typical, exactly what I expected. Did you see something different? Nope, people liked it. People liked the summit. People, people liked, liked it. The they wanted to hear more. You know, I already said people were like, oh, you didn't cover everything. Absolutely impossible to do. But, um, you know, some people were like, oh, the player proof crew was representing. Some people were like, I'm down with the ladies. Ah, y'all you got know? swiped out. Please. Y'all got Please. swiped out. I mean, y'all Please. weren't expecting. Really, to be honest with you, y'all what probably got. Some... Oh, okay. Here we go. <laughs> Yo, I mean, look, y'all weren't expecting Ian and Gino to bring all of their Negro charm. I think Ian had that little flip in his hair, and sometimes when that little flip is in that nigga's hair, you know, like that little he got the little what do you uh, the little Killmonger thing. Sometimes when that little salt and pepper Killmonger thing comes out, people kind of lose themselves a little bit. Ian wore leather pants to the summit of the sexes. It was at least 100 degrees in L.A. that day. <laughs> totally unserious. You see what I'm talking about? Do you see what I'm talking about? Image, Gino uh, had in, on a suit. I was like, it, guys, bro. it's hot. Yeah. I came it's out hot. there. I had a T-shirt and some <laughs> and some Laker shorts or something like that. <laughs> Gino, Gino and Ian, they came dressed to some of the, the sexes, man. Like it was Sunday church day. That's the type of shit Ian wear to church, man. Leather pants they for really Jesus. Did. But I enjoyed Ian, who I'd already met um, at Gino. I really did. Um, so I feel like the uh, the actual length of the summit was Sweet Booty's fault. The link? Is that what you said? The, the length. Like, Sweet Booty was, like, trying to hurry me up. Sweet Booty, okay. jump on real quick. 
Are you talking about me? I'm- yeah. yeah. <laughs> Donnie, you know is there another? Is, is there another? <laughs> no, we're not going to blame this on Donnie. Donnie kept us on track. One, we all had dinner reservations and we know that. And everybody was hungry and they would have been upset if we didn't have it. But two, yeah. we did it an out. We were two hours pretty much. Did we go two hours? The actual length of the content was a little bit over an hour. It was less than two hours. See? But but I mean, I, I would say because of me that we were able to hit as many topics as we did. I and agree, like Richard said earlier, we had topics that were left on the cutting room floor, which we gotta save for the the next one whenever that happens. What should we do? We should we the next time we should tackle a either we should tackle a different subject or we should take the summit of the sexes to a different place. You know what I mean? Maybe we up the ante. We've already did it with our group and maybe we up the ante a little bit, but maybe we attach, maybe we talk about, you know what we could do? We could do a summit completely dedicated to LGBTQ plus issues. Don, you like how, you like how he said that like it was a novel idea? Like I didn't say that? (laughs) Yeah, this is a we're all on the same page, but I'm glad I'm glad that we are on this page. But thanks, man. I, I forgot. Thanks. I forgot. That's a good idea. Look, I'll take credit for it, whatever. We should do that. But like we it's really important. Should, though. We should we really I think should. we I think that's the next summit. I think that's the next summit. We do that. Um and I think that's important. And then we we do one about money, about economics. Our live shows aren't just going to be us doing a podcast. And if Rachel's down with this, I think our live show shouldn't just be us doing a podcast live. It should be us tackling an issue like we did a la Summit of the Sexes. You know, that was kind of fun. I like it. It was a lot of fun. And it's fun to be thought warriors too. You know, you, even though nobody like in them. the audience wanted to admit that they were a part of the Reddit. We know. Yeah, the, the Reddit is a scarlet letter. I mean, you know straight up. You know, I tell you straight up right now. I tell you straight up. Yes. I love meeting thought warriors. I do. If I meet you and you are and you actually admit to me that you're on that Reddit, I'm not gonna fuck with you. Straight up. Really? No, <laughs> man. Gonna, no, I'm not gonna, no, I'm not gonna fuck no. with you. I'm not gonna well, fuck we'll with you. Well, we'll never know. Then everybody keep your scarlet letter. It's gonna be a scarlet letter. If I meet you and you tell me you be on there, I'm not fucking with you. Straight up. It's like, it's not going to be, we're not going to be cool. Because it's just, it's like, it's just, the Reddit has gone too far. Even I'll the never admin, turn back. the poor admin who put it together with good intentions. Oh, don't so get wrong. me wrong. Don't get me wrong. There are a lot of great people on the Reddit. There are a lot of great people the, on the Reddit. You just, you just, you just can't, can't trust You, you never know. You never know. <laughs> people was on there dissing my father. I like it, it, you, yeah, you, no, you it's just, outrageous. You, you just outrageous. never you, you just never know. You just never know. So therefore, everybody gets thrown in the trash pile. I'm trash. We all can be trash niggas. Fuck y'all niggas. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, um, we have a show today. It's kind of a dope show. I'm not gonna lie. We have, we're bringing you Adam Cohen, who is the author of Supreme Inequality. It's a book that takes to task the notion that the Supreme Court is anything but an institution that has acted in some of the most undemocratic ways in the history, throughout their history in this country. Boom. Number one. But we also got to talk about what's going on down there in Alabama. We got to talk about what's going on down there in Alabama with Carly Russell. Okay? (sighs) We got to discuss it. I like it. 
This is the type of shit I like. This gets me out of bed in the morning. Does okay? it? Yeah. Yeah, it gets me out of bed in the morning. Gets me out of bed <sighs> in the morning talking about Carly motherfucking Russell. Because it's it's a bunch of funny mess that doesn't matter at all. But if you listen to what people are saying, oh, we're going to make it matter here on Higher Learning. But if you listen to what people it are saying. It matters, man. It matters. It really doesn't matter. There are things about it that matter. Yeah. But, but if you listen to how people are talking about it, they're acting like it's the fucking crime of the century. I love it. We're going to get into that. Uh, we got Adam Cohen. going to do a little trumpeted Trump, Trump, Trump stuff. Sexy Red. We're going to come back on the other side of this break to get in the big deal of the day, which is the kidnapping that never was. All right, you guys ready for the big deal? Um, is it Carly? It's Carly. <laughs> okay. Let's Carly go. Did her thing. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, we, here we go. The bullshit is the big deal of the day. Um, Carly Russell. Yeah. I'm sure you guys had heard that there was a young woman in Alabama who had been abducted, or so we thought. And the story was that she was driving along the street and saw a toddler outside. She stopped to help this toddler and that she was abducted. Uh, social media acted swiftly. Activists acted swiftly to get her story out there. Um, we know that black women are abducted in America at disproportionate numbers to what they represent in the, po- in the population. That is a fact. Everyone knows this. We have been talking about this uh, increasingly the last couple of years. And so to see this case, to see this happen, a lot of people uh, were very emotionally moved and wanted a resolution to this where Carly came back healthy and happy. Well, we got that. Carly did come back healthy and happy. But God damn it, it doesn't look shit. We don't know. She hadn't said nothing. She might be very happy. It doesn't look like it happened. It looks like the entire thing was a hoax. And there's a timeline to this. Well, first I should say, Rachel, before we get into the timeline, (laughs) what? Uh, Rachel, (laughs) what did you think when you first heard Carly was missing? And what do you think about this entire thing now that it's pretty clear that she made all this fucking shit up? Okay. I've gone on such deep, dark holes on all the social medias trying to see. Try, I, don't want, I don't want this to be not true. Okay. I want to. Let me just say, answer your question. Okay. When I first heard. I was, I mean, people were blowing me up on social media. You guys got to post this. You guys got to put this out there. This is, you know, she's missing. And of course, as you just laid out, we know what's happening to missing or the lack of what's happening to missing black women, how we're not giving it the attention, how people aren't putting a spotlight on it. And we know what, that their power in numbers. And if we put ourselves behind that and put that on our platforms and we all come together, we could put some pressure on the people who do have the power to do something to get something done. So that's what we did with Carly. I'm going to tell you something. The moment they announced that Carly had returned and they said she showed up at her parents' house, I knew something went right. 
you, you, you I knew you something in the milk wasn't right. I knew it. Yeah. I knew milk. it. What? You ever heard that saying? Something in the something milk in the ain't milk. right. Nah. <laughs> something in the milk ain't nah. right. I don't fuck with the milk as much as you do. Go ahead. I'm more in the coffee. Colombian coffee. No, 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 no. Col- Colombian coffee. Yeah. We got to talk about what's white and what's not one day. Because I don't really think. But go ahead. I mean, like, it's the so- like, race the social construct. We know that. Okay, white, right. whatever. Milk, yes. Dabble. Um, so, so <laughs> something in the milk one, right? It, I'm telling you, when she showed up and then we, there, everything after that, it was like there was a silence. We didn't know right. what state she showed up in. We didn't know. We didn't have, we just heard that they were happy that she was home. We knew that they took her to the hospital. Nothing else was coming out. And the lack of information was alarming to me. But I really think the most alarming thing was she just showed up to the house. So, And I'll just leave it there for now. So, so for people to know, so you guys know, this is the timeline of things that happened. Because the Hoover Police Department gave a press conference. This was yesterday. Uh, and they gave a timeline to all of uh, the the goings-ons around this case, to everything that went down. Um, the public skepticism about Carly's Ru- Carly Russell's disappearance was at a fever pitch, and they did nothing to dispel it. All right, so this is the timeline that they gave. July 11th, 7.30 a.m., two days before she disappeared, disappeared she was at her job, and she searched the term do you have to pay for an Amber Alert? Okay. Uh, at 1.30 a.m. on the day of her disappearance, she, she searched the term, how to take money from, from register without getting caught ready. At 2.30 a.m. that same day, the term Birmingham bus station was searched. Then at 2.35, a search for a one-way ticket from Birmingham to Nashville was conducted. At 12.10 p.m. later on, she did a search <laughs> for the movie Taken. Now, she left the Woodhouse Spa at the summit where she worked. At 8.20, surveillance showed that Russell concealed a dark-colored bathrobe, a roll of toilet paper, and other items belonging to the business prior to her departure. She ordered food a restaurant then uh, she talked to her mom a little bit she left she stopped along US 280 bought some granola bars some Cheez-Its and a drink she needed her energy it's a lie uh, she remained in the parking lot till around 921 she drove to I-459 9.34pm Hoover 911 received a call from Russell stating that she had seen a white male child about three to four years old walking along I-49, I-459. She called 911. She got out of her vehicle to check on the child. A man came out of the trees and mumbled that he was checking on the baby. That man picked her up and she screamed. He then made her go over a fence. He then forced her into a car. The next thing she remembers is being in the trailer of an 18-wheeler. She said the man was male with a female. However, she never saw the female, only heard the voice. Said the man was white with orange hair and a bald spot. Then <laughs> with July 14, people search. July 15th, um, they, the family received a call saying that she was at the Red Roof Inn in Vestavia Hills. 
Talitha Rock, uh, Russell later told Fox that that call was a hoax. Hours later, Hoover 911 received a call from Carly's residence saying that she had returned home on foot. There's something else that's really interesting. On, on the 16th, she went for evaluation. There's something else that's really interesting here. Okay, so the police in this situation talked about all of the search terms that Carly Russell had. Taken, how you pay for an Amber Alert, all of that. But there are other things that she, she searched that they refused to divulge. Right. Things that they say are material to this entire story. So there might be other things that she searched, like, you know, how to go here, how to do this, how to do that, that they're not talking about. There are a couple of reasons why they might not be. Number one, they might be trying to compel her to do a second interview because to this point, she has refused to be interviewed again. She's been interviewed by police once. She doesn't want to do it again. Uh, typically, in a situation like this, the cops wouldn't give a fuck about embarrassing you if there's something on those search terms that is, that's embarrassing. Uh, but they're not talking about it now. Maybe they want her to do the second interview or else they're going to release whatever it is that they have that she searched. Um, because that might be the nail in the proverbial coffin in terms of this. Now, since this has happened, and it looks like she lied. She almost certainly lied. Obviously, the conversation has turned to a great many things. This you know, conjures up the, the, the recollection of Jesse Smollett for a lot of people. And um, it, it makes people think about the seriousness of missing and exploited um, uh, and abducted black women and what this does to that entire conversation. Rachel, now that we know that Carly probably lied, what are your thoughts? How do you feel? Do you feel like any of these conversations that we're having about what this means in the future when someone's taken or anything like that are justified and valid? Well, they're obviously justified and valid because Carly Smollett was trending on Twitter. That doesn't mean that they're justified and valid. That just means that people think it. Do you think that they're justified and valid? No, I don't think that people should be thinking that, but I think that they're the reason I say it's it's worth talking about is because immediately people are going to Jesse with this situation that happened and they're making a joke out of it or they're not taking it as seriously. And as you pointed out at the top of introducing this product, I mean, you can go look, you can Google this everywhere. There are movies about it. We've had conversations about it. You know, in the NAACP put out a resolution in 2019 that there were 64,000 missing black women. That's 2019. That number has only gone up. It's a, it's a huge problem in this country and nothing's being done about it. So I get why people are upset. I know that there's a whole host of people who are making jokes about it and, and, and making light of the situation. And I, I understand that people want to do that. And some of them were funny. However, I think They're the funny. bigger... Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Some of them were funny. But you're not going to see me reposting that. And you're not going to see me making light of it. Because it does... This is a serious issue. And the fact that for whatever reason, whether she's suffering from mental health issues, which is also a reason not to joke about it, because there could be something truly 
wrong with Carly. And that might be the information that they're not releasing. Who know? We don't know at this point. We can only speculate. But there could be something wrong with her. So that's a reason not to make a joke. I, I, I'll, 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 I'll say this. Okay. I'll say this. There could be something wrong with her. But and I know that people are saying that. But the fact that this seems to be so premeditated, the fact that this seems to be so well-researched, and I it was give not well researched. It was stu- she, like it's well, and it wasn't no, 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 premeditated no, no, no. in the best way. This is it, 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 floppy. I'm not talking about how it was premeditated. I'm talking about the fact, and I applaud her for this. All right, shout I'm out to Carly. This is funny. I, like I applaud her. She took the time to to search what the age of the Amber Alert is. If you can pay for the Amber Alert, it doesn't seem like, and this is hours before it all happened. It doesn't seem like someone who had some sort of spontaneous mental break and then uh, was in a very bad situation. It seems like someone who made a plan and then went through with that plan. Okay. I don't want to put this mental illness on her, but have you ever been around somebody who's schizophrenic before? Yeah, but we're really doing a lot of work if we're going to say that she's... I'm just saying, having it impact my family, I have seen like... Beha- similar behavior. Just saying. Don't know if that's it. Which is why I'm also hesitant to, yeah. you know, pub- publicly, again, like I said, I've seen the, some of the stuff, it's funny, but I'm not going to publicly make a joke about it. But also to the seriousness of the way people were rallying behind her, the way, you know, it brings the spotlight on the lack of attention. There is someone who's getting this attention. Then people are found, fa- then they find her. You know, the, the stress that it put on her family, her friends, you know, the time that was taken away to look for her, people using their platforms, people will be hesitant to do that. Again, I don't care what you say. People will be hesitant to do it in the same way. <laughs> they might not all. And, and and I would say for those people who do, who maybe feel yeah. that way. It's important that when we found out about it, we believed her. And it's important that whenever it is reported that anyone is missing, and in this case, black women, when they don't get the attention, we should always take their story seriously and we should not allow somebody who's probably not true to deter us from doing that. That's all I'll say. You know how I feel about this. Um, and sometimes I feel like that just, a nigga's just not going to be free. It's just not. I just sometimes I feel like niggas just never gonna be free. And I'll tell you why, man. There is nothing that reinforces the structures of white supremacy and whiteness than the notion that your behavior don't denotes how much respect and reverence you get in America from the systems that you pay for meaning they asked that man the police man that was doing the 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 uh the um, press conference the, the press conference they asked him they said hey is this going to change the way you investigate missing persons in the future he said we have a responsibility to take every single case along these lines seriously. He's right. And that's his fucking job. Everyone's saying that they <laughs> wasted police this, they wasted this. They didn't waste nothing. They didn't waste 
anything. Nothing was wasted. It's their job. That doesn't mean to, they executed. No, no. It's their job to look for people who are missing. It's their job to do it. By the way, if it, if let me tell you why it's not a waste to me. It's not a waste. In this case, it's not a waste in the Jesse case. The reason why is because if she made a false report, a false call to 911 or whatever here, like them going through the investigation to find out whether or not this really happened is yeah. them doing what they're supposed to do. Malcolm X talked about what it means to be a second-class citizen. And do you know what Malcolm X said about being a second-class citizen? What? That there's no such thing as being a second-class citizen. That you're either a citizen or you're not a citizen. Okay? So that means either you have the rights of a citizen or you don't have the rights of a citizen. There's no in-between. There's no, this person is a little bit more of a citizen than me. I'm a little bit less of a citizen. We don't know. You're a citizen or you're not one. So when I look at people saying, hey, and I just want to talk specifically about this, not necessarily that you're saying this, but people are, that this makes it so hard for the next time and the next time and the next time. Stop standing up straight for these people. The reality is they are the police. They take your tax dollars to look into missing persons cases. They don't have the right to not approach every single case with the same vigor. If you, when, whenever we say that like a false claim means that the police are going to move forward and not take it the same way, like we're letting them off the hook. We're letting everyone whose job it is to look after people in this situation off the hook. Like if you're an activist and you cared about missing people before Carly Russell pulled this hoax and then you stopped caring after, you never cared in the first fucking place. You never gave a shit. Like you never cared. You have to, You every single time you have to still care. And the police, I said this is the Jesse thing. That's going to make people not believe and that's going to make the cops less likely to spend resources. Why are you? Chloe Stein in May of 2023 in Pennsylvania is a woman that faked her own disappearance. White woman. I have a list of white women who lied. Susan Smith, liar, said that two black men came and abducted her shit. Like, uh, you remember that? Remember the kids were crying? She drowned the kids. Bethany Soro, Bonnie Sweeten, they lie. When a white woman, white women have lied for ages about all kinds of shit. We can talk about it. Have lied for ages. Always blaming on a nigga, which I like about Carly because she blamed on a white person. That's just standing up in the right way. Didn't get any niggas in trouble. Um, does that stop them from going out Every single time a white lady is gone for more than 30 minutes at the movies and making a national moment out of it? No, it doesn't because they are citizens. Carly Russell lied. She wanted some Cheez-Its and some dick probably. And she went to see whoever that guy is that they keep putting on the thing. So what? It's fine. Don't take it to don't 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 take Man. it to heart. Everyone. Man. 
It's fine. She lied. Van, Van. It's fine. The reason we talk about the epidemic of Black missing women in this country is because the people who are supposed to be doing their job aren't when it comes to looking for missing Black women. So what? So what I'm saying is you do this whole, you sure gave a lot of credit to police officers in what you just said. No, I didn't. Yes, you said police officers, it's their job. They take tax dollars to look for missing women. Right. Okay. They don't do it when it comes to black women statistics show. So what what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is the reason I don't know what the Hoover Police Department will do the next time a black woman is reported missing, God forbid, in their town, city, whatever it may be. I don't know. But what I'm saying is, is that the reason people are saying, oh, it might deter people is that you, yes, the police, there's the police department. Yes, they have specific duties and responsibilities, but these are human beings who might you no. let their emotions get to them and they might second guess it. You're over here talking about what police not, officers I, I, should do. No, police no, no. officers are, are not supposed to beat the shit out of black and brown people, you, okay. yet they do. There are bad okay. officers in every single police department. I, I so know. you can't sit here and say that they're not going to be like, well... You know, you're, you but, just don't but, know. And that's, but, where people are but, but com- saying, that's where people are coming from. But in my opinion, you're arguing against yourself. And I'll tell you why. What I'm talking about is being free, right? And that means, what that means is I can wear a hoodie if I want, okay? That means I can pass a counterfeit bill at a store without being killed for it. That means that there's nothing that I can do that then makes it okay for a police officer or an agent of the state to shirt their constitutional duty because I'm a citizen just like everybody else. That means it don't matter how I act if I'm not posing a threat or if if I'm not posing a threat to a cop, they can't kill me. If I'm not doing something criminal, the cop can't put me in jail. That, and it doesn't, and it doesn't matter how they perceive me. It doesn't matter if the cops think that somebody could be lying about something. Their job is to investigate it. And to me, the reason why I say you're arguing against yourself is because you're saying at the same time, cops don't have the right to kill us. But then by saying that the way we act with police, like influences what they do, is giving cops the right to kill us. Saying when that did the, I say that? I'm, listen, what you're saying is, what, what you said, th- listen, what you said was this. You said, cops don't have cops are not supposed to do this cops are not supposed to do that cops are not supposed to do this i agree i agree that they're not right and the reason why they're not supposed to do that is because there's a set of rules and standards that precludes them from doing that right that has nothing to do with you it has nothing to do with how you act what you're supposed to do in this country if you are a free citizen a full citizen of this country Right. If you pay tax dollars to a police department, you're supposed to have freedom from persecution. You're supposed to have access to investigation and you're supposed to have freedom of movement. That means it don't matter if you walk down and say, fuck the police. They can't pull out a gun and shoot you in your head. It doesn't matter if a black woman two weeks ago lied about being abducted. The cop's job is to go out and investigate the next one. And every time we say. Listen, every time we say, in my opinion, well, 
the fact that she lied is going to make police officers not take it uh, as seriously or, God forbid, that police officers are human and human beings bring certain biases to things. Yo, there is so much space in there for upholding the idea that a black person in America is only as good as their conduct, that they only deserve as much citizenship and respect as how good they act. And what we've seen to me is we never act good enough for them to do what they're supposed to do anyway. Like she lied. It's she lied. It's funny to me that she lied. White women lie about getting abducted all the time. And if the moment that we say that it's okay, or not even that it's okay, that we look down on Carly Russell, who now has to bear that entire burden because she did something stupid. And now it's, oh, the next time they're not going to care. We're not asking for them to care. It's their job to care. But they don't all the time. And that's that's the only thing I'm saying. I, 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 I'm not making space for anything in this. I'm just saying when you talk about white women who lied and they continue to look for them versus black women lying. And they, so that means they'll because they do it for white women, they'll also do it for black women. No, I'm I not think, saying they would. I'm saying that they should. And I'm saying that of anything. Of course they should. I'm saying, I'm saying, I agree I'm saying that anything, with you. I'm saying that anything short of that expectation leaves room for the them reason, to do something. Why do people have that expectation? Why what do, do you people mean, have that? Why do people have the expectation that when a white woman lies, they'll still continue to look for a white woman versus when a black woman lies, they won't? Why do people have that expectation? Because white women are free and black women aren't. That's why. Yes, people have that. And because right, statistically, so, it shows that. So what? So I mean, what I'm trying to understand is: so we submit to that. We submit Nobody's to the submitting idea. to that. Some we are submitting just saying, to it every no, time. No, I, I think I, I no. I think for people to say that they're disappointed or upset with what Carly did doesn't mean that they're submitting to anything. I think people can be disappointed. I think people can say like it. It does, and not even just with the police. The way that all these people, black, white, brown, whatever, the way all these people took to social media to do that, it's. It's innately within human be- human nature. I mean, it's innately within humans to say, maybe say like, well, maybe what if it's this? That is going to happen. I don't okay. care what you say. So, that's going to happen. So maybe not with this. the police. It'll definitely happen with other people. And all I say is don't let it believe people when they get, when, when it's reported, whether it's so, true so, or not. So this, so this is what I'm saying. Number one, like I, it is bad what Carly did. It's a terrible thing to do to worry everybody like that. It's a terrible thing to do. I can't help but laugh at at fucking Google and Taken. I'm just not that type of serious nigga. I'm sorry. It was but funny. But like, it, it's, it, it's a terrible <laughs> thing. It's a terrible thing to do. This is what I'm saying. Let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Duke lacrosse case. Mm-hmm. Black woman said she was raped. Mm-hmm. She lied. Mm-hmm. Does that make it okay for anybody to be skeptical about the next black woman that says that she was sexually assaulted? No, and I'm not saying it does. Okay, so listen. So listen. So what I'm saying is, I, I know that you don't believe that because that would be preposterous to believe. What I'm saying is, it's okay to be disappointed in Carly Russell because of what she did and how she, whatever, everything that she put everyone through. I feel like the conversation about how victims will be impacted by this is inappropriate. And the reason why I feel like the conversation is inappropriate is because 
it assumes a framework that um, to me is backwards. And that framework is as long as everybody is telling the truth about everything that happens, then the police and people at, at large should take it seriously. But when they people should. start to, but, but, but they should take it seriously, whether, whether some people are telling the truth or some people are lying. Every all of them should be taken seriously sure. because we are full should. human beings and full citizens. And anything else is like to me, it reinforces white supremacy. It reinforces white supremacy to say, like George goes into the store. Should George have been using a counterfeit bill? No, it's illegal. Does the counterfeit bill mean that the cops can kill him? No. Like, if you want to go through the list of people that have been killed by the police officer, I mean, the reality is we have more interactions with police. The police have a job to do. And us, as a society of black people, we have a job to do. And that's to care about one another, whether or not this person lied or this person told the truth. I and, agree and the, with that part. And the reason why I bring up all of these other women is because I see so many people saying right now, and I, I do partly think that, and we can move off this after because I I, I I accept what you're saying. But I do partly think that there's this thing to where black people are still embarrassed in front of white people when stuff like this happens. When the Jussie's, when the oh. Jussie thing happened and Jussie, when, when the Jussie thing happened and Jussie said all of that, everyone was like, oh my God, well, the next time a black person says there's a hate crime and blah, 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 people aren't going to be, this makes us look so crazy. It makes us look unserious. Like it makes, it makes the, the issue of black women of being abducted look less serious. How can the issue look less serious? I wouldn't look say that. That's an extreme. To whom? Look less serious. Look less serious to whom? It's a serious issue. It's something that we should be talking about and 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 and, and devoting resources to. Stop trying to be clean for these people who already think you dirty. Like the best thing you can do for yourself is force these people to do their fucking jobs. There is their job. I don't give a fuck how human they are. It's their job. Investigate missing people equally. Mm. Don't matter who lie. I don't care if it's 10 Carly Russells. Carly out here. What do you what do you think Carly's gonna say next? What is she gonna say? I can't wait. I can't wait to hear from Carly. Carly, I, I think right now, I fuck with Carly straight up. I wanna see a Carly Russell Zeus Network show. Get on it, Natalie. All right, let's move on to the next topic. Carly Russell. I'm bro. sure Zeus will call. I'm sure Zeus would love to capitalize bro, on that opportunity. I'ma say, I'ma say this, bro. Carly kind of pro-black. Man, please move Carly, on. Carly blamed white people. She did all of this. A lot of people are saying she did all of this so she could go see a black man. Think about what she put America through for a black man. That's what a lot of brothers, some of them are the sexist. That's what a lot of brothers are asking for. Okay. Go get um, yourself a Carly then. Nah, man. Not you. Just in general. Um, Jason Aldean, did you see this? Try that in a small town. It's Jason not funny. Aldean. Yes, yes, yes. It is funny. Is this funny, it is funny too? Funny. So you just saw a you just on a roll. This is funny to you. I mean, Jason Aldean just basically bit. He made a whole song saying, "I'm gonna kill y'all niggas." Like, <laughs> basically, <laughs> it's a whole song. <laughs> there have been two people that I have refused to interview when I worked at Extra. Mm. One was Mel Gibson, and two. 
was Jason Aldean. Because they wouldn't allow me to ask specific questions about his blackface. Because, 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 and you can intro the topic, but Jason Aldean, if you know anything about him, country music singer, has a history of controversy, one of them being blackface, one of them continuously wearing a Confederate flag during performances, his wife making the children wear hiding from Biden shirts, among other things. They're anti-vaxxers. He's, he's been a big Trump supporter after the insurrection and has even put out thoughts about election fraud. The man is a menace. And to say more than that, he's a racist, but to say, but all of that precedes what he did with this recent song. So he did a song called Try That in a Small Town. And the song is basically about, you know, you big city slicker motherfuckers with your BLM riots, your BLM riots, and your LGBTQ, huh? Your drag shows, all your coconut milk drinking quinoa motherfucking sucking. This is America. And I'm the sheriff around here, Jason Aldean. <laughs> so he uh, he made the song. And he's also the country music artist of the decade. I didn't realize that by the Academy of Country Music. He big like that? He's a he's big. Yeah. And his whole thing is, you know, mm. this this image is his image. He performed this song, which is. Uh, which he says is about small towns coming together to protect their culture. Performed in front of the Maury County Courthouse in Columbia, Tennessee. This is the site of the 1946 Columbia race riot and the 1927 mob lynching of an 18-year-old black teenager named Henry Choate. So this is the place that Jason Aldean decided to do this song, which is essentially a warning, a cultural warning to everyone not to do some of the things you see in these big cities and small towns. Uh, people have said it's a dog whistle. Other label, others labeling it pro-lynching. He talks about having a gun that his granddaddy gave him for, you know, something happening in the future in the song. He's like, look, it's Jason Aldean, bro. He's fucking ready. Aldean says, <laughs> there's not a single lyric in the song that references race or points to it. And there isn't a single video clip that isn't real news footage. And while I can try and have respect um, well, I can try and respect others to have their own interpretation of a song with music. This one goes too far. In 2015, obviously he dressed up like Lil Wayne, wearing blackface makeup and a wig with dreadlocks, like you said. Um, I mean, I mean, what do you do here? I mean, it's something that happened. Like, what's the? I mean, I, I look at stuff like this and I go, okay, well, there's some country music singers that are racist. To me, the more important thing ab- about this. It's not necessarily Jason Aldean in this song. It's how the rest of the country music community will accept or not accept this. It seems to me they have an opportunity to make a statement here about what they deem appropriate in country music. I mean, it's not... Country artists have called out Jason Aldean before for things that he's done. It's been mainly from everything I've seen, country women, women in country music. Women. Um, I did not know he was the artist of the decade, which is shocking. Uh, but 
a lot of people are supporting this because they're just saying this is just good old country music and he represents, you know, the towns that I grew up in. You guys, Columbia, Tennessee is like 50 miles south of Nashville, which is where Jason Aldean is. He passed up a bunch of small towns with county courthouses on his way to Columbia, Tennessee. He very knew exactly what he was doing by going to a site that between 1927 and 1933 lynched multiple Black men, young Black men at that courthouse, throwing their bodies over the courthouse, hanging them from that. Jason Aldean goes up to this courthouse and hangs a United States flag, throws a flag over where those young men were lynched. This man knows exactly what he's doing. You ask, what do you do? I mean, you got Trump saying this is a fabulous song. DeSantis saying this is a fabulous song. I, of I don't they know. like it. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. their buddies. You know what I think? This is what I want. I want somebody to, uh, I want a response. See, this is what, this is what I asked for from hip hop. You know, in hip hop, the body idea. count for, um, for black people is very high. We kill a lot of niggas in hip hop. We kill more niggas in hip hop songs than country music could ever dream of. <laughs> no, it's facts. This is a fact. So I want that. I want a song called Try That in My Hood. I love I'm it. calling on one of you rappers out there. Try that in my hood. Parody the Jason Aldean song. See, this is why I really should be, because I would have been jumped on this already. If I was one of these What's holding you back? Let's do it. Do it. Come on. Nah, but, I, but, if it, but if I get out there rapping with Bozeman in the video, it's not going to look serious. I don't look, I don't look like that. That's not, that, that's not my era. You know what I'm saying? Try that in my hood. And, you know, get Jason Aldean, and we got a Jason Aldean fucking statue. We put a fucking nine to his head. We put, boom. You know what I'm saying? Try that in my hood. I need somebody. Y'all always want to diss each other, hip hop. Y'all want to diss each other and go back and forth with each other. This dude is daring black people to come to his town. He daring black people to come to his town. Mm -hmm. This him. This a white dude, bro. Like this Jason Aldean. This him. Try that in my hood. Boom. Wale. YG. Uh, I don't know. Reason we had on the podcast, man. Hit Boy. Shout out to Hit Boy and his dad and the beautiful music they putting out. Have them on the podcast. Problem we got coming on the podcast I, we need fight back. That would be so dope. Go to that I same really place. Would. Yeah, try that in my hood. You know, pictures of Jason Aldean, shoot him up. Whole nine. I don't know. You, you, you go hard. Like we used to go as hard on the white people as we do as on the As they go other. on us. And they go on us. Yes. And as they go on yes. us. Goes, yes. He, he dissed y'all. He talking about y'all. He dissed y'all. All right, we got to talk to Adam Cohen now. Adam Cohen is the uh, the author of Supreme Inequality. We have to talk about the Supreme Court. Rachel loves the Supreme Court. She's a big fan. I'm not responding to, to this. <laughs> I, I used to. <laughs> no, nah, so Rachel, so it's over. Um, Adam Cohen up next. Okay. Uh, there have been a bunch of people down there in Washington that are making some trouble. Uh, depending on who you are. Maybe they're making trouble uh, for you. Maybe they're freeing you. <laughs> by taking away other people's rights. Those people are known as the Supreme Court. Now, you might think that the Supreme Court uh, has a specific problem with their political leanings now. There is a man that has written a book that would tell you no. 
that the court has some issues that go back at least one or two generations, maybe further. That man's name is Adam Cohen. He is a journalist, author, lawyer, former senior writer for Time Magazine, assistant editorial page editor at the New York Times. Jesus, Adam, you got a lot of stuff going on here. Served as special policy advisor to New York State Governor Andrew Cuomo. Served in the mayor's office. I'm not going through your entire uh, bio here because you've done too much stuff. It makes me feel weird about myself. He's the author of five books. The most recent book, Supreme Inequality, Supreme Court's 50-Year Battle for a More Unjust America. Adam, thank you for joining us on Higher Learning. I'm going to get right into my first question. The Supreme Court's 50-Year Battle for a More Unjust America. A lot of people will be shocked at that title because people look at the Supreme Court as an entity um, that has granted fundamental American rights, that has been uh, the moral sword in so many of the cases that have been ballyhooed throughout its history. Why is the Supreme Court an entity that has uh, uh, battled for a more unjust America? Tell people. So that's a great place to start. So um, I think probably you came to all this with the same uh, inclinations I did from what we learned in school, right? That the Supreme Court is the force that stands up for the little guy, right? It's the, it's the part of our government that makes sure that everything's fair. And when they taught us that in school, they tended to talk about things like Brown versus Board of Education and integrating the segregated schools in the South and Miranda warnings, you have the right to remain silent and all that. Now, there was some of that, uh, but what we don't learn is that that was a very short period of time. It was basically from 1954, when Brown was decided, until Nixon turned the court over and made it very conservative in the early 1970s. If you look before that period, well, I mean, what was the court doing, let's say, during slavery? They were upholding slavery. They were ordering the slaves be returned to their masters. When Dred Scott sued to try to get his freedom, they threw that out. So like, we know that during the early times, the court was not on the side of you know what's fair and right and on the side of the little guy certainly not on the side of black folks. And then after Nixon takes over the court, there's been this series of rulings from the 70s through now that have really been all about helping the powerful, helping the rich. And, you know, we've all heard of some of these cases like Citizens United, right, where the where the court said that corporations can spend money to win elections, that they're essentially people, and uh, on and on and on. So that's the court in general. And we had this little period where they did some good stuff. But now we're in this whole new period, six to three conservative majority, and they are kind of going crazy, as you said in your intro. It's, I, I practice law, and it's, and you were, the way that you were taught about the Supreme Court, just as you said, it's, it's almost mind-blowing when you really read into it and you dig into your book of how they're really not as supreme as we were taught that they were. And in reading your book, I mean, even it's it's interesting too, because we're at a time now where we're seeing people be revisionists and wanting to rewrite history or keep certain things out of the history books or just get rid of books in general. But it's interesting because since 1953, it seems like they have been trying to, or I guess since the Warren Court started, they have been trying to take away everything that that court did. And this has been in motion for a while. Can you talk about that? And how did we not see it when it was so obvious? I mean, even Justice Warren warned the government about this, that this was going to happen, yet it happened and we allowed it. 
Totally right. And I'd say the tragic era of the court begins just what you're describing, right after Earl Warren leaves. And, you know, what happened is we had this liberal court. Nixon gets elected with a promise to turn the court to the right. And he does do that. He's able to get four nominations in three years. And then right away, we get a totally different court that did some stuff that I really think of as tragic. And I, I want to mention a couple of cases because I just think they symbolize where we really started going down the wrong path. So the conservative court takes over. There is a case out of Texas challenging the unequal funding of the public schools in Texas. The, the funding was so unequal. There were wealthy districts that had everything, fancy labs and fancy, you know, everything. And then poor districts right down the street that had, you know, horrible conditions, unsafe conditions. Um, a lawsuit was brought on behalf of the poor school children. It won in the district court. It won in the Court of Appeals. It gets up to the U.S. Supreme Court five to four. Just because Nixon has taken over the court, they overturn it. So there had been a ruling saying every, every school district in Texas has to get equal funding. If that had been upheld by the Supreme Court, that would have been the rule everywhere in the United States. Imagine if we equalized school funding across districts in the 1970s. All the kids who would have grown up with much better educations would be adults now. It's been decades of that. The very next year, they get a case out of Detroit where um, lawsuits brought on behalf of the school children of Detroit saying that they're being deprived of an integrated education, right? Because at that point in the 70s, there had been a lot of white flight and the, the Detroit public school systems pretty much all black. So there's no way to integrate the schools with just the kids in Detroit. So um, the, the lawyers brought a very smart claim. They said, you know what, in order to get integrated education, we need to cross the suburban lines, right? The white kids are now in the suburbs, the black kids in the city. Let's come up with an intra-district remedy that will bring the kids together from the suburbs and the cities and get everyone educated and integrated education. If they had done that, they came up with a plan that would have made all the schools about 70% white, 30% black. Everyone in the Detroit area would have gotten integrated education. The district court ordered that, and there was a plan in place. The Court of Appeals ordered that. The Supreme Court, by the same five to four vote, because Nixon packed the court, overturned that. So in two years, we're getting uh, school children are not going to get a right to equal funded education, and they're not going to get a right to integrated education. And that was the 70s, and it's just gone on from there. Yeah, you talk about mm -hmm. some of the cases very early on in the book, the Lily Ledbetter case. There's a case um, that I always struggle to remember the name of. Lily Ledbetter was... Actually, you know what? Why don't you tell people about the details of that case and what it did to equal pay uh, for women and how Congress actually had to act to, uh, to undo what the Supreme Court did? Why don't you tell people a little bit about the Lily Ledbetter case? Exactly right. And, the, and when Congress acted, what you just said, um, uh, it was the first law, actually, the President Obama signed into law when he became president was overturning this case. And I love this case because I hate this case because it's such an awful case, but it shows the way in which the justices will just twist the law to get the result they want. Lily Ledbetter sued for uh, paid discrimination. She was, a, one, she was the only female manager in an entire plant in Alabama where it was extremely hard to be a woman manager, particularly back then. And the stuff she put up with and the threats and the abuse and all that, but she does it. She's really strong and she uh, she's a manager. And one day she finds out that all along they've been paying her less than the male managers. And uh, she had no way of knowing that because like most workplaces, they don't tell you what all your you know 
coworkers are making. So you just know what you're making and you assume you're being treated fairly. Big mistake. But anyway, one day she finds out that she's being underpaid, violates the equal, uh, the equal pay laws. Um, she brings a lawsuit. It goes up to the Supreme Court. You would think she would have to win because she's doing the same work the men are doing. She's getting drastically underpaid. They came up with this crazy uh, uh, rule where they said that she had to file her complaint um, within uh, some very limited period of time, I think it was 45 days, of, of when she was first underpaid. But the thing is, she didn't know when she was being underpaid. She had no clue. She no clue. How could she? <laughs> and they know that she did. There's no way she could know. And uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg wrote a great dissent saying that the court is ignoring the way workplaces work. How how would you know to bring a complaint that you're being discriminated against if they don't give you the information you need? So um, it was outrageous, but it was just clear. They just didn't want to give her uh, a right to equal pay. So they came up with this crazy uh, statement that she had to have filed it when it started. No way that she could have done that. Then, as we said, um, Congress did rectify that, the Ledbetter Fair Pay Act. Um, uh, President Obama signed into law. Very unusual, though. I mean, that was great, but it's rare. There was a Democratic Congress at that time, Democratic president. You know, now we've got a divided Congress that's not going to overturn anything the the Supreme Court does because the Republican House isn't going to do it. So that's a rare example of where the Supreme Court actually got slapped down and, and people just said, this is crazy what you're doing. But most of the things they're doing, they're getting away with. Question. I, I want to... Oh. One, one quick, one quick follow-up. One quick follow-up. Is that okay, Rach? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Because um, I wanted him to talk about the Lily Ledbetter case. I really want people to know about that. But my question is why? This... The court obviously has this history of ruling against the little guy. And you talk about so many different ways in the book from uh you know contributing to mass incarceration with some of its its uh its decisions to uh throwing corporate money into politics to striking down equal pay you know why why does the court consistently make these decisions that seem undemocratic and not in the interests of the average working american it's a great question. And there's so much wrapped up in that with, you know, psychology and how do people, you know, think about what's fair and right in the world. I mean, one thing I'll say is if you look at who's in the conservative majority, one thing we've learned in, in recent weeks and months is they hang out with a lot of billionaires, right? They hang out with a lot of billionaires who pay their bills. They go to really fancy retreats. They go to, you know, places we can't even imagine, fancy fishing trips in Alaska that who knows what's going on, they go for free. Um, a lot of them have just aligned themselves with the wealthy and the powerful. And yeah, I mean, you would think, where does, when does fairness kick in? When does this, this sense of like, we got, you know, Lily Ledbetter is this great woman who's like really working hard and she's doing her best and she's doing a great job and she's being underpaid. Why don't you care? But, you know, for the most part, they don't. And, you know, um, in the book, I, I talk about how one, there, there are some feminist scholars who early on uh, were writing uh, that, you know, it's great that we now have a woman on the court. This is what Sandra Day O'Connor wrote. And they said, because women view problems differently and they're much more likely to be sympathetic with uh, with families and with children and, and things like that. I was always skeptical because I certainly have known there are a lot of very right wing, not very nice women as well as men. So Sandra Day O'Connor gets on the court and very quickly she writes one of the meanest rulings the court has ever handed down. It was a case in which, um, you guys will probably remember this, um, there was a poor family in rural South Dakota and uh, Suddenly, the school district starts 
charging for the bus, right? The family was like, you know, they were on public assistance and food stamps. They didn't have the money to pay for the bus and their school was very far away. So they sued and they said, there should at least be some kind of a waiver for poor families that can't afford to get on the bus. And they, and, uh, they go up to the Supreme Court. Sandra Day O'Connor, the woman who's supposed to care about little children, um, uh, says, you know, this is ridiculous. There's no, actually, there's no constitutional right to a public education. States just have decided to do that. You have no right to it. If there's no right to a public education, how could you possibly claim you have a right to a free bus ride there? So, like, when you read that, you just think, you know, what is wrong with this woman? Like, it's this small yeah. child that's trying to get to school. And, you know, no compunction about just slapping him down. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think there's a little bit of strand of meanness in some of this as well. You know, we we talk about how there's this checks and balances you know, within our country. And you have these nine individuals who are appointed for life and regularly make these huge, crucial, unreviewable decisions that affect so many people that, as you pointed out, don't reflect what the district court may have done and the court of appeals may have agreed with them or or whatever, you know, however it works. Yet they're still able to do this. And it seems like I just don't understand why we're not talking about this enough. And and also what you said about what happened under the Obama administration with the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act. Why are we not seeing more of that or more of like a push to talk about Congress using their power in regards to making decisions that reflect what the citizens of this country actually want or what's in their best interest? No, it's a great point. Um, you know, I think we're starting to see, see some of that. We saw it with, with the abortion ruling, right? Like, I think that people were really shocked by the debate in which people rose up against that, right? And even in, like, states like Kansas, they started voting, you know, in favor of, of abortion rights. I think that really energized people. Um, I think we saw it a little bit with the affirmative action ruling. Um, um, but in general, I think, you know, people feel powerless, right? Because for just the reason you mm-hmm. said, the way this is set up, what can you do? They're nine people. They're there for life. You can like yell and scream, but they're going to do what they want. We now know, as I mentioned already, that some of them are taking really, really generous gifts from billionaires. Um, sometimes billionaires have business before the court. We're all outraged about that, but we can't even get Congress to pass a law to stop that. So I think people feel fairly impotent in the face of a lot of this. And another thing that about why we're not seeing more opposition from elected officials is there's this horrible feedback loop where one of the things the court has been doing the most, the, the right wing element of court, is striking down campaign finance regulations, right? So I mentioned Citizens United, but there actually had been in the early 70s, um, after Watergate, Congress actually passed some pretty strong campaign finance rules that would have really taken a lot of the money out of politics. The Supreme Court struck that down. They've been striking down campaign finance regulations ever since. Now, Campaign finance, you know, for a lot of people, a lot of working people, a lot of people who are experts in this, sounds a little bit arcane, but what it really means is that the court is allowing rich people to buy Congress and the president. It means that corporations and rich people can now give huge amounts of money and spend huge amounts of money. And that's always a quid pro quo, that, you know, Congress and the president always responds to their donors. So the court has basically cleared the way for rich people and corporations to have an enormous amount of influence on elected officials. Why are we surprised that Congress isn't being tougher on the court? Because, you know, look at who's paying their bills. So um, I think it's a real problem. Hopefully, you know, this 
ethics stuff, I think, has actually gotten people pretty outraged. I mean, now that we know, like, Clarence Thomas has, you know, been taking all this money from this billionaire and the billionaire, you know, bought his uh, mother's house and all this stuff. And now Samuel Alito getting these free trips to, you know, Alaska. I think people are now beginning to wake up a little, but there's still this question. What can everyone do? They're there for life, right? Yeah. Adam, mm-hmm. what is the Constitution factor into all of this? The Constitution is the document that is supposed to ensure, uh, you know, American rights, uh, our fundamental rights, and supposed to protect us um, and essentially protect American citizens uh, from harm. It's supposed to be the document that binds us all. And the Supreme Court is the body that interprets the Constitution um, and decides if something is unconstitutional and going against somebody's rights. And it would seem like in a lot of these cases that they're clearly not doing that, particularly with Ledbetter or some of the other stuff that you're talking about. It seems like, you know, there would be equal protection laws. There would be all kinds of things that would preclude them from making some of the decisions that they're making. Are they skirting the Constitution in doing this? or? Is the Constitution something that actually set an American status quo that ensures that there'll always be a permanent underclass? Do we have a bad, we have a different view of that document? These are great questions. So I think there's there's a lot to unpack there. But one thing is, yes, a lot. I mean, I love the U.S. Constitution. I think it's an amazing document. Um, it has some uh, weaknesses, let us say. And there are historians have always pointed out it was you know mainly put together by fairly wealthy people. And to some extent, it, it does protect property rights and things like that. It doesn't have a lot of language about protecting poor people. As we know, early on, it, you know, it, it, the compromise it, it, it was that it, it, it included slavery. I mean, it's not a perfect document. That's one part of it. So there are things that it would be nice if they were in the Constitution, like more rights for working people, and labor unions, and you know, uh, poor people and all that. Not there. In the 60s, there was an attempt to try to read into the Equal Protection Clause some kind of right, rights for poor people, even a right to minimum subsistence, that didn't get anywhere. So we've got the limits of the document. The second thing, though, is that this court is very good at using the Constitution in the way it wants to. So when you look at the recent affirmative action rulings, they used the 14th Amendment to right. Harvard and University of North Carolina couldn't have affirmative action. Well, you know, we all know that the 14th Amendment was, uh, it was enacted to help newly freed blacks. So like that's how it got in the Constitution, but that's not how they're using it. Similarly, the First Amendment, which could be an incredibly um, uh, uh, powerful uh, amendment for the rights of ordinary people to speak and all that, they have turned that into the amendment that they use to strike down all these campaign finance laws. And, you know, we mentioned Citizens United. They have literally said that, you know who has First Amendment rights? Corporations. They need to be able to speak in elections. And when they say speak, you know, when you read the First Amendment, you you see the word speech there. You don't see the words spend a lot of money, but they've, they've turned the First Amendment into, it applies to corporations and applies to spending money. So suddenly, Texaco, which has corporate resources beyond anything you and I can imagine, their right to spend all that money on attack ads and all that is in the First Amendment, whereas I guess you and I, we get to go on the street corner and kind of yell at people who we want but that's that's how they're reading the document right 
Do you think we'll come to a place where there's more transparency with the Supreme Court as people are starting to become more aware of the history of the Supreme Court and becoming more outraged at some of the more recent decisions? And I mean that in the sense that we see the arguments that come before the court, but then it's like they disappear. We don't really see how these decisions are made, um, you know, like what's going on behind the scenes as they're talking to one another, maybe meeting with people, who knows, not trying to speculate. But I'm just saying we don't see anything until it comes out. They don't talk to the press. Do you think that maybe we will get some more transparency or should we have that in the future? It's a great question, and I hope so. I mean, one area to start would be why are there not cameras in the court? right? Like you can turn on C-SPAN, you can see everything Congress is doing. What is so special about what's going on in that room that the public can't watch it? I'm sorry, that's a, that's a public event when there's an oral argument. There is an audience there, you know, but it's a small audience and, and you can't get mm-hmm. into an argument. But why are there not just cameras there so we can all watch it? Um, um, why is there not more transparency about all these gifts and things that we're now learning about in the backhand way that some of the justices are not even, you know, filling out their forms properly. And uh, yeah, and a lot of it is goes on behind the scenes. We, you know, they all meet quietly and they trade votes and all that. We don't know how that goes on. I think you're right. And um, to be a little critical of my own profession, it's interesting. Um, some people point out that the people who cover the court by and large, although they're very uh, intelligent, they're very hardworking, they do a lot of very important work in explaining to the public what is going on, there is a little bit of, I think, reticence to be too critical of the justices, right? Because one of your jobs when you come to the court is to kind of be friendly with the justices, trying to get little tips from them and trying to get interviews. So it's interesting that the scandals we've been seeing recently about uh, Clarence Thomas and Alito uh, getting these gifts were not broken by regular uh, uh, reporters who cover the court. They were, you know, it's pro-publica. It's, it's people who are not regularly there. And I think there's a reason for that, because there is a little bit of a capture of the people who are sort of part of that world. Mm. And uh, and so I think more, you know, even investigative journalists who are focusing on the court would be a good thing, because I think there's scandals that you really need an outsider to kind of shake up and talk about. Adam, we, we appreciate you for being so generous with your time. I have one last question for you. I'll let you get back to doing some of the great work. Of course, the book is Supreme Inequality. Supreme Court's 50-year battle for a more unjust America. You should pick it up right now. It is literally like taking a course in the history of it. Like even the machinations that went on to undo the Warren Court from Nixon. Here I am doing a revisionist history on Nixon, looking at him as the last New Deal president. You know, Chomsky's got my brain filled with all kinds of stuff. And then I read Adam's book and <laughs> Nixon goes back to being an asshole right away. He's a demon. So, like the 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 whole deal, you know, I'm, I'm trying to look at it through both sides. And then I, I come upon this. What's the answer here is my question. Is, are, are term limits for Supreme Court justice the answer? Um, is in better, uh, more enforceable ethics standards the answer? Uh, more stringent ethics standards, should I say? Packing the court with with a, a more liberal justices right now to undo some of this damage. What's the answer the answer to turning around uh, the Supreme Court and making it so that they have less of an injurious presence in, in the lives of average Americans? Great question. I would say the answer is, you know, quite possibly all of the above, right? Because we need to use whatever tools are available, right? Because um, 
you know, it is a political battle that's going on right now. Like they, they want to act like they're just, you know, interpreting the law. But we know that when they get appointed, you know, President Trump says, I have a list here of very right wing justice, you know, nominees who've been chosen for me by, you know, these better, like it's a political process. They're being put there to be political. So I think we need to be political back. And yes, what people maybe don't realize is Congress has a huge amount of power here. Um, the number of justices, nine justices, that's not in the constitution. It didn't used to be nine. It got raised tonight. Congress can make that any number of wants. And if they just start talking about changing numbers, that might intimidate the, you know, the, the right wing justice a little bit. I think term limits are absolutely appropriate. No one, you know, Amy Comey Barrett could be there for another, you know, 30 or 40 years. Um, yeah. So yeah, all of this stuff, more transparency, more criticism and, and all that. But, but there is a battle, but one side is fighting a lot more than the other now. So I think all of this is a way to push back. Yeah, absolutely. And I was my question that kind of goes along with that was, do you think there will be a day where we'll see another court come through like the Warren court did and that actually stays for a significant amount of time? You know, I'm always a little bit of an optimist. I mean, maybe that's dumb, but I do think the pendulum swing, you know, I mean, the truth is, uh, you know, the Democrats could take the presidency again, you know, uh, in, in a couple of years. They could take it after that. Eventually, the Democrats may start getting some nominations. And, you know, six to three sounds terrible, but, you know, Nixon got four nominations in three years. It, you know, it's not impossible that, you know, in, in a few years, you know, if everything cuts right, that maybe we'll once again get a liberal majority. So I'm, I'm choosing to be optimistic. So yeah. we have to play also, dirty. We have to force someone to that's resign. What, that's what he did. We he forced to, people yeah, out. Yeah, no, I know. That's what we have well, to do. Well, let's say win elections anyway. Win <laughs> elections. That's very interesting. Adam Cohen. Uh, the book is Supreme Inequality, Supreme Court's 50-Year Battle for a More Unjust America. Man, thank you so much for joining us on Higher yes. Learning. Very eye-opening stuff. Uh, what else you got out there for us to read, man? Plug something else. Oh, boy. That's a tough one. Uh, 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 I don't know. <laughs> no, it, you know, I'm, no, I'm writing a book now that's just so unrelated to this and i'm not talking about it yet but oh. it's 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 a law book but it's like from a different era and it it's really interesting but it's sort of not like political at all so my mind gotcha. is a weird kind of written in the 1880s but uh sorry sorry about that all right well we'll keep up with you okay. we'll we'll keep our eyes on you everybody run out and get the book right now thank you so much for joining us on higher Learning. you guys were amazing Thanks. thank you so much right, that was good that's a good interview that was a great interview. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm thankful that you introduced me to that book. Everybody needs to go read that book. It's amazing. And isn't he was this, great. I can't wait to see it, what he's writing next. Isn't this why, just to revisit this one more time, isn't this why we need to judge on the Supreme Court? My dad is a good man. He's a good man. Yes, we do. We do. I would love to read some of his dissents. <laughs> <laughs> Ephesians chapter puts, one. No, he often <laughs> puts like music lyrics in his stuff. You like lying. he'll call me, I swear. Or he says it like in his, in his, um, like not a sentencing, but just like when he's, maybe it is a sentencing. Oh, whoa, whoa, like, whoa, 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 That's not appropriate, man. Your dad no, no, can't be reading off Marvin Gaye no, lyrics. No, Marvin wow. Gaye lyrics. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's like, I, so I sentenced you. No, it's not like that. 50 years in federal prison. And like Marvin Gaye once said, mercy, mercy me. <laughs> Things no, ain't no, what no, they no. used to be. It's not a sentence. 
But from time to time, he'll call me and he'll be like, he'll be like, What's that Beyonce song that you have to wear? <laughs> Say, bro. Like, Wait a minute, bro. Daddy, no. The judge. The judge wilding, man. Judge. Uh, he puts on that robe. All that. that listen. Listen. They, he, he would be great on the Supreme Court because they got these district judges doing all the work. The caseload is heavy. And then they up here picking and choosing which cases they listen to and then they listen to them and then do whatever you know their uh donors want them to do mm. <sighs> advance somebody my father saying. to the court let's start that position somebody put it on change.org biden put him on a put him on the court put i'm probably the, the issue the now i'm gonna be the issue they'll be like in 2018 your daughter said this that's funny <laughs> that's funny when your dad is being interviewed for the court and is not really talking about him his stellar Marvin Gaye, Beyonce, judicial record. It's more about you and things that you've said and done. It's are exactly you aware, what happened. Are you aware of two ladies named Trixie and Ronnie? <laughs> uh, uh, thank you, Senator. No, I'm not aware of them. I haven't heard of these people. Interesting. We'll direct you to the video monitor right here and it's you dancing on stage <laughs> at a Jeezy concert from like 2013. <laughs> like, like you on stage and then what? And then what? The I was judge. just tell my boom, boom, clap. I was like, just tell them we're estranged. <laughs> tell them we're estranged. <laughs> um, speaking of no, Things this that, ain't me. So if this is if this is what you're saying, <laughs> wait, this ain't me. Don't you dare. <laughs> sexy red. Uh, sexy red. Twenty five years old. She went to. She made an appearance at a high school. Are you familiar with sexy red? <laughs> How could I not be? Donnie. Sweet booty, are you, are, you, are you familiar with Sexy Red? Yeah, just vaguely though. I uh, oh whatever, Donnie. No, really, we were listening. To, she was on the radio on the way back from dinner after uh, uh, some of the sexes, and that was the first time I heard her on the radio. But they played Pound Town on the radio playlist. Yeah, it was on the radio, LA radio. What, what do they say say instead of my coochie pink and my booty hole brown? Mm, I think they just like bleeped that out. Like it was just blank space. Just you fill in the blank. So Sexy Red made the song Pound Town. She has Pound Town. She has Pound Town Spring Break Edition. Um, Pound Town what? was a hit. <laughs> yeah, she has different eras of Pound Town. Okay. Um, I'm looking at this one guy. It says black women are embarrassing themselves. Why would anyone want to marry? It's like these niggas on the internet are crazy. Uh, <laughs> ben Shapiro. Uh, what? Did a whole thing about Pound Town. It says this song has 16.9 million views and I'm disturbed. It's Pound <laughs> Town is the name of the song. And Sexy Red is with NLE Chopper. I'm looking at Sexy Red is with Suki Hana. She's been doing her thing. Um, so look, she went to a high school is the thing. You guys have heard the song Pound Town, like Pound Town, my pussy pink, my booty hole brown. That's funny. 
Uh, it's a very direct lyric. She went to a high school in St. Louis. It's on Twitter. Uh, and while she did not perform Pound Town at this high school, a lot of people still think it was inappropriate for her to be at the high school because of the lyrics of the song that she's famous for. Um, Sexy Red says that she did not perform the song. She showed up to do some charity work for the school's prom. She said, y'all know, y'all do know I went there to give the boys money for their haircuts and girls bundles for prom week. Cause I remember when I needed help with my prom stuff. So she needed help with her prom stuff. So she wanted to help them get right. So she went there. She did not perform pound town, but a lot of people were saying, Hey, this song is too overtly sexually explicit for her to be there in front of the kids. She was going to perform the song, right? I don't because the video think so. shows there being a full DJ with a mic. She had a mic. Yes. And she walks into the gym and they mob her. So it's my understanding she planned to perform. What would it have been Pound Town? I don't know. Um, I'm not familiar with her other music other than, um, what does she say? There's another viral song that's on TikTok. Something about, you like my voice, like how it sounds. I don't know. Some, I don't know. Something about a song. I don't know. I can't think of it right now. You like Sexy Red, nigga. Give us some lyrics. (laughs) No. But my point is, is the whole thing about she wasn't there to perform. I'm pretty sure she was. There was a full DJ. She was being announced. It got so you're saying too she's crazy. Li- so you're saying, you're saying Sexy Red is lying. Well, I don't know why there would have been a DJ if she maybe wasn't there d- to perform. Well, it could have been a sound system. A it's a pep rally. But what I'm saying is maybe there's a DJ just to spin music for, spin records for the kids. You never know. It, Donnie, do you have the clip? Can you watch it? Did it look like it might have been her DJ? Her personal yeah. DJ? It might have been. And I, I feel like you might be right, Rachel, because there's an MC that is like yelling at the kids for having ran on the court. And he's like, y'all mess it up. Y'all mess it up. Go back to your seats. Oh, so you're <laughs> saying this was a surprise performance of... Uh, it was of definitely a, a surprise. Okay, so here's the thing. How do we know she was going to do Pound Town, though? Because I said she that. has other songs. Okay, yeah. I, I said that I don't know if she's going to do Pound Town, but I would venture to say all the songs are probably on the same level. I don't know how many songs she has. I said there was another one. I can't think of the lyrics. She has a thousand jugs. She's got Born by the River. That's probably, that. that's with Sukiyana. So that's probably, you know, there's probably some yes. pound town going on there. Yeah, yeah, She's yeah. She's also yeah. got female Gucci Mane. But we shouldn't say that we know about all her music from one song. No, I but I mean, I just, I, it, whatever, fine. Be fair. We don't know all of it. We don't, but like I said, I don't know if she was performing pound town. But I'm not going to subscribe to the belief that she, I, I commend her for going there to give money and things for the kids that they need. I love that she related it to a need that she had when she was their age and she was going back. And I don't think that her, whatever her music is or whatever her profession is should prevent her from being able to do good in the community. I think it's beautiful that she's giving back. However, I'd be hot if I was a parent if she came out there singing Pound Town. Would you be hot if you were a parent? But I'd be mad at the. But I would be after the principal, not her. That should that should that song should never be sang in front of the kids, in my opinion. Even if they are listening to it on social. So if she, I mean, if she did Pound Town, obviously that's not that doesn't work, right? Right. Right. My question is: Would you be hot if Drake came and performed for the kids? 
No. Oh, Drake's uh, Drake song that I was listening to earlier today. I like this record. Drake says uh, he's going to fuck the girl in the Vince Viano. He's going to fuck her in that. Uh, he's going to fuck her in front of Messi. He's going to fuck her in front of Cristiano Ronaldo. Wow. He said when he see the bitch, all he wants to see is right hand, left hand, left knee. Make that ass bounce. Make that ass jet ski. Like, I, first of all, I love that verse. I think Drake was cooking on that verse. Look at that jet ski. Like, My thing is, if Sexy Red can't go to perform at the prom, then no rapper can go. So that's and not I, what I, I said. And so, but I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you said anything. I'm just saying this is my thing. For people that's mad that Sexy Red will go, right? Of course, it's about whatever song that you perform. Right. So obviously it, you can't do Pound Town for the kids, right? Maybe Correct. she has another song. Maybe she could do Female Gucci Mane or something else for the kids. But just to be mad that she's there, I agree, and not be mad at any other rapper that raps about killing people up or blowing people head off or none of that shit is a wild double standard, and it kind of yes. shows to me the difference between. Um, Sex and violence, right? Because like I remember when I was when I was at McKinley, this girl had wanted Master P to come. Master P mm. had said that he was coming to the school. Shout out P, by the way. Master P had said that he was coming to the school and he was she was supposed to interview Master P. I remember she did got her hair did and all kinds of stuff like that, right? When she was in school and the day Master P was supposed to come, and then we find out that the principal said Master P can't come to the school. And we were super pissed off. Everybody was mad. And then you know, my dad was like, son, I know that y'all mad that, you know, Master P is not coming to the school or whatever. But he was like, you know, I let you listen to your music and I heard you listening to your music. And he was like, you was listening to that Master P one time. And Master P was cooking crack on the song. Like the crack was bubbling up. He's like, I'm not going to tell you not to listen to the song because, you know, you grown man. I was I was a senior then. My dad was been calling me a grown man since I was 13 years old. He's like. You're a grown man, you listen to your music. You know, if you know what's gonna happen to you if I catch you with anything like that around here. So, but like the school can't have a crack man in the school. Now, I don't think that I would boil Master P down to just being a crack man. I think that Master sure. P has all kinds of things to offer the kids, and I think it's cool for him to go to the school. But what I'm saying is it can't be not cool for little Kim to come to the school, but it's cool for for, for Master P to come. And so that so when I when I see people saying if she was gonna do Pound Town, that's one thing. Can't yeah. do Pound Town. Right. Yeah. Can't do Pound Town. That's too sexually explicit for the kids. We don't want to do that. But just to say that her music is too sexual to have her in there, if that's the case, it's like three rappers that could go. Chance I the agree. rapper. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You got like, you got, you really got your choice of chance, logic, <laughs> like you, you know what I'm saying? You might who who else who else might be able to go, like Kendrick Kendrick I guess Kendrick could be up in there J Cole maybe you know you get you you don't have very many rappers that could go so I just think that a lot of what I saw about this had more to do with the fact that she said her booty hole was brown on the record her pussy yeah. was pink you're right and that's that's not the song but how do you do you think that she's seen her own booty hole before no she told a story about a friend saying 
it, something with the friend said it or she saw it. I don't want to like misquote her. The friend her, but saw her There's a story. I, 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 it's something with the friend. Like that's where the lyric came from. Her friend said something or did something and that's where the lyric came from. Generally, do... Because I've never seen my own... I've never seen my own butthole before. I've never seen it. Okay, is that generally either. something? Is that generally something that women have seen? Have they seen that more often? I have than not me? seen mine. No, I don't know. So you don't. You're not sure. You couldn't make that song. I, I couldn't make it, but I it's could up, sing it. You like that? Shit. See, I know. <laughs> See, this is why the judge is not going to be on the Supreme Court. <laughs> don't <laughs> See you know what I'm saying? They're going to take this clip right here. <laughs> And then the judge not going to make it. Right, I was you know talking what? to a friend and I was like, because so many people are so outraged by this song, right? Because of its popularity on social media. And I'm like, when we were, we were around this age, what was the song that was so taboo that would have made our parents upset? Do you remember what it would have been for you? So taboo that would have made our that parents people, upset? Like if, if, like if it was, like the song I said was My Neck. My back. If that Eat my pussy, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. But you gotta put your car. neck into it. Yeah, like if that look went how, look viral, how, look how much you like that shit. <laughs> if that, that went shit. viral on Twitter, it would probably have. I mean, on Twitter, TikTok, it have the same type of outrage. Or, um, what's your fantasy? The female version, the female male version. or female, male, male or female. female. There was that. Uh, you also got shout out, Lord Infamous. You got Lord Infamous, lick my butt. Or you got like my butt, like my butt, like my butt. You never heard that Lord Infamous, like, like the Lord Infamous. You got the Lord Infamous lick my butt joint, and you also got slob on my knob, like oh, corn yeah. on my knob. Check, Check in with me. In with me. Then do and your job. Do your job. You know what I'm saying? So like all of the, but what I'm saying is, there's never not been songs. Sure, that's that was the point. We're just mm-hmm. older now, but we all I'm have just older. Yeah. yeah. Well, could, could James Brown Sex Machine, I guess, because Sex Machine isn't really about fucking. No. It's about he's a sex machine. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I saw a lot of people. I don't really give a fuck whether or not Sexy Red could perform at a high school or not. No, I just want to me. check everybody. When you were that age, you had your song you were singing to. Shout out to Sexy Red. I would love to have Sexy Red on the podcast. Yeah, I think it would be great. Fucking great, man. Sexy Red. Donnie, do we have mailbag or not? No, no mailbag this week. We're tied on time. Uh, okay, so no yes, mailbag we this week. I will say Not one Donnie thing. Donnie checking us we... on time twice this week. Yeah, sweet booty. <laughs> sweet booty. I bet Donnie's seen his. Stop. Don't, Donnie, go. <laughs> like I said, we're tight on time. Yeah, Get tight. Yeah, okay. Tight. So look, I said that and you went straight to tight. I'm telling you, bro. I'm telling you, y'all be a little off with y'all shit. Look, let me tell y'all something real quick. Um, just keep an eye on these animals. These animals are not at all fucking with y'all. These animals are going crazy. I saw a dolphin getting on a surfer, a seal. You saw him body bump? You saw him body bump that paddle boarder? I am so proud of my animal brothers and sisters. I'm with y'all. All All right, we out. Rachel, you got anything else? No, that's it. Oh, I do have something before we go very quickly. Very quickly, I have something before we go. There is something happening right now that is greatly, greatly, greatly dismaying and upsetting. Okay. I'm a founding member of the Gathering Spot Los Angeles, which is a black-owned co-working space 
in the West Adams neighborhood. It is a fantastic space. It is a place where I can go with my partners and get writing done and get work done. It's a place where I can see other black creatives, mingle with them, talk to them, right? It's a place where there is community, where the vibes are great. And the gathering spot is not just a place that exists in Los Angeles. It actually didn't start in Los Angeles, not even close to it. It started in Atlanta by Ryan and TK to enterprising young black men who wanted to establish a space just as the L.A. space is, just like it is in Atlanta, just like it is in D.C. TK is one of the founders of the gathering spot. It's no longer with them. And it was announced that a man named Mike McCloskey was moving into the C-suite over at the gathering spot. It's a white guy, older white guy. All right. I've looked into this a lot. There's a lawsuit that's going on. There's all kinds of stuff that's going on with this entire situation. I am not going to insert myself into the middle of it, but I am going to say this. I am no longer a member of the gathering spot. I've put my membership on hold and I plan to cancel it. I put it on hold while I looked into this. And now that I've gotten everything, all of the information out of it, I am going to cancel my membership at the gathering spot. Mm. The importance of the place wasn't in the first class service that was there. The importance of the place wasn't in the great food, the great vibes. It wasn't even in so much of the cleanliness or the or all of that stuff is top notch at the gathering spot. The most important thing at the gathering spot, at least the one that I was joined here in L.A., was community. That's the most important thing. That's the most important thing when you join a space like that. And if that, that community is in any way injured, the whole ethos and point of the place falls apart. At that, mm. pl- at that point, it might as well be the Soul House or the San Vicente Bungalows or any of the number of social clubs slash co-working spaces that exist here in Los Angeles. The difference was how buttoned up things were and black things were from top to bottom. And I can't imagine why any entity at all would not want that to be the case. Very disappointed. I'll find somewhere else to go. Take your thing caps off, but do not stop learning. I am Van Lathan Jr. I'm Rachel Lynn Lindsay. Bye. Bye. Guys.